Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson, and this is episode 115 of VRP Rocks, the ultimate classic rock podcast that says that my music is better than yours. Make sure to subscribe to VRP Rocks on your podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. They come out every Monday and always feature big-name rock stars that found fame in the 60s, 70s, or 80s. And if you're a new listener, check back through the catalogue because there's an awful lot of interviews for you to enjoy of the stars telling their amazing stories from their legendary careers. Now, today I'm speaking with a great guy, a funny man, and an iconic drummer, Nigel Glockler. Nigel is, of course, best known for drumming with British metal band Saxon, who he first joined in 1981. But he's also worked with a lot of other cool rock stars, too. Now, Saxon were part of that new wave of British heavy metal that sprung up at the, well, the end of the 70s, start of the 80s, along with the likes of Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. Saxon's success has seen them achieve 10 top 40 albums here in the UK and scoring four top 20 singles too. They were right at the forefront of that scene and have toured the world with some incredible bands as well. And you're going to hear some wonderful stories from Nigel very soon. But quickly, I first wanted to mention, again, VRP Rocks Radio. Yes, the podcast is now a 24-7 online radio station as well. 
I launched this about a week or so ago and the feedback so far has been fantastic, so thank you. If you're not aware, VRP Rocks Radio, it's a a station that I've built myself. I've loaded all 900 plus songs so far into the system. I've done that personally, so I can guarantee that you're not going to hear Bohemian Rhapsody or Smoke on the Water or Sweet Child of Mine or Stairway to Heaven. Instead, what you're going to get is a mix of deep cuts, some brilliant album tracks that have faded completely from view that deserve more recognition. And you're going to get songs from bands that just don't get played on the radio at all. The hope is that you turn on and listen and within three, four songs you'll have heard something that you really wouldn't get on any other classic rock station. Of course, there's going to be some classic songs on there too. I can't make it completely obscure. That would be a bit bizarre. And there's also some really, really short clips from all these previous interviews that I've done over the years as well. So there's the big star quality names in there too. And it's all knitted together by me with the links. So I hope you enjoy it. It really is a labour of love for sure. And I'd love it if you gave it a chance. Just half an hour just to begin with as you sit and read or flick through your phone or do the washing up or have your dinner, whatever it is. Just click play and give it a chance. I'm going to put a link in the description of this episode for you to click on. And if your podcast app doesn't allow you to click on links, then just copy and paste it into an internet window and you can be able to listen from that. Alternatively, if that's too difficult, just go on the VRP Rocks social channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, because I've pinned a link to the top of those. So just go on, I don't know, Facebook or Twitter, search for VRP Rocks. And at the top of the page on the profile, you'll be able to click on the link that I have saved for you to make it really, really easy. Now, as I've said, I've had some great feedback so far. Joey Michaud said, I've definitely heard some tracks I've missed or never thought of in a long time. Thanks, Paul, for this ambitious undertaking. James Court said, a great achievement, VRP Rocks. It's sheer quality. Many thanks. Adrian Brown said, just giving it a listen and the quality is excellent. A terrific achievement. Great work. Mr. D on YouTube said, I really appreciate you trying to exclude the overplayed songs. They were great, but get wearisome, while many great tracks go unnoticed. So thank you. Also, lovely comments from Lights of Joe K and Zen1281 on YouTube, James Gunn, Gwentoline, Luil Adolfo, and many others too. Thank you so much. Please do give it a listen and let me know what you think, because I'm building it for you guys. There's no money involved for me, not yet anyway, uh, hopefully one day. Um, and it's all taking me a lot of time. It's taken a lot of my effort. So I'm doing this for you, and I hope you really get to enjoy it. I did work in radio for 20 years, so you can be assured the quality is there. It's a quality product, and there's some great songs. So please give it a listen and let me know what you think as i said the links again are in the episode description and also on the vrp rocks social pages but back to today's guest then the wonderful nigel glockler a brilliant drummer we discuss his time with toya who you may be aware of these days for the uh, well interesting videos that she makes every week with robert fripp if you know, you know. We, of course, talk about Saxon joining the band, the pressure of taking over from Pete Gill, tour stories from being on the road with likes of Ozzy and Motorhead and Motley Crue, uh, being in awe with working with, yes, guitarist Steve Howe and missing out on an incredible party. There's the court battle over the band's name about 20 years ago. And we talk about the new album and the tours that are coming up with Judas Priest and Uriah Heep. Loads to get into. So please enjoy this chat with Saxon's Nigel Glockler. So, yeah, I want to start kind of near the beginning then and and speak to you about Toya, because obviously she and the band you were in uh, had huge hits. I mean, the the album Anthem was massive. There's songs like It's a Mystery and I Want to Be Free and and Thunder in the Mountains. And and that track in particular, you co-wrote that one, didn't you? And I I heard a wonderful story one time you you said about how you wrote it when you you took a synthesizer to a hotel room and a bottle of brandy and away you went. Yeah, it was me and Adrian Lee. Um, We were on the Anthem tour, actually. Um, and uh, we finished the gig, I think it was in Manchester. 
So he said, oh, let's take one, let's take one of the synthesizers out of the truck and take it up to the room. So he went, <laughs> went into the room and, yeah, the brandy got opened and, um, yeah, we wrote Thunder in the Mountains there. <laughs> and, uh, we didn't feel too good in the morning, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> a huge hit it was for the band as well, wasn't it? I mean, what was it like working with Toyota at that time? Because it was an interesting band because it kind of came from the punk movement, didn't it? And then it kind of yeah. moved into the new wave and pop in, in a way as well. So what was it yeah. like with the audiences at that time? Uh, the initial, I mean, the first tour we did, after we did um, It's a Mystery, we, we toured like universities and and that was like, it was full of punks, you know, and it was all the gobbing, <laughs> you know. And, 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 it, and it was then I sort of thank my lucky stars I was a drummer because I was a bit further back. But, I mean, you know, the other guys in Toya just got covered in this stuff. You know, I mean, it's disgusting, really. But, uh, I mean, I had one, I could see one hurtling towards me and I kind of willed it down and it didn't get, didn't get that way, you know. And then, and then you know, after um, It's a Mystery hit uh, in the charts, the audience changed. You know, there were less punks. Obviously, there were still a few. But um, I always remember we played this, where was it? Um, Dunstable Civic Hall and there was a guy in there and he had this bright blue Mohican. <laughs> right, we were doing this gig, and I saw this guy at the back, and he was walking across people. He was like, "What, you know, on, on top of them?" And he came back, and he came right to the front. They threw him out, and about ten minutes later, back he came. <laughs> it was hilarious, but yeah, the audience completely changed. But it was great. I mean, the whole tour was like both tours were great. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And as we said, the huge albums, huge songs and everything like that really put you yeah. in the mainstream. But I think I've heard you say before um, that obviously Toya was the face of the band. She was at the front yes. of it and uh, the name and everything like that. And, yeah. and you guys were almost treated as if you were kind of, I don't know, a faceless backing band or session musicians. Yeah, that's true. That did annoy I mean, you a little bit, didn't it? It wasn't her fault, obviously. No. It wasn't her fault. I mean, she was obviously the first. I mean, I still, you know, we keep in touch all the time now. You know, still in touch all the time. And... Um, but no, so it wasn't her fault, but it was the press mainly sort of saying, you know, we were like faceless things, yet we were the guys that wrote all the music. Yeah. So that was a bit frustrating at times, you know, but hey-ho, it is what it is. And you say you keep in touch with Toya. Are you a big fan of the, the videos, her and, and Bob Fritt? Oh, yeah, you? her and Robert, yeah, great. Sunday lunch, hilarious, <laughs> absolutely hilarious, you know. But, yeah, no, we keep in touch really regularly, so. Fantastic. So how did you go from Toya then to Saxon? Um, well, we we went over to, with Toya, we went over to Germany to do some TV work. So it was all like sort of, you know, basically like top of the pop, basically German top of the pops, you know, Rock Palace and stuff like that. So it was all playback. And actually, I'll tell you a funny story about before we go on to the Saxon thing, but we were... We were on this one, yeah, I think it was Rock Palace, and, and it was like a Kim Wilde was on it, Motorhead were on it. They were on they were on before us, right? <laughs> and um, I had to use the same drum kit that Animal was using because none, none of the bands took their own gear. It was just like what was there. Yeah. Big double kick setup. Animal pushed the whole lot over when they finished, and it was like, oh, my God, we've got it. So it was like I had about two minutes to get stuff up. Everyone was grabbing cymbal stands, just putting them somewhere because he knocked a lot over. <laughs> so that was a bit of a panic. But no, we came back from there, and I think I've been back like a month. Sorry, just to, just to put in, I hate butting in, but yeah. um, just, just on the motorhead point, um, 
obviously your, your your past must have crossed a lot during that kind of metal scene in the in the eighties. But weren't you on one of Lemmy's last tours as well? Yeah, yeah, we 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 were on his last tour, and um, yeah, I mean we we were on American on an American tour with him and a, and a European tour. So um, yeah, it was a great shame to see how he sort of went down. You could see. But he was a great guy, you know, fantastic. So we all got on great. I've known Phil Campbell since 1977. Because oh, so, <laughs> the first professional band I was ever in, um, we used to play in Wales a lot. And our singer, a guy called Terry Bennett, who was in a band called Sassafras, um, he was great friends with Phil. So Phil used to come to our gig. So we've kept in touch ever since, you know. So, yeah, so I'd been back and... Um, the, man, the one of the managers of Saxon happened to be happened to have been the bass player in my first pro band, right? And um, he rang me up. I was I was at home with my parents, and he rang me up and said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Well, you know what I'm doing because I mean, Toy was big, you know." He said, "Yes, but what are you doing now?" And I went, "Well, I'm just about to have Sunday lunch with my mother and father, actually." <laughs> and he went. And then he explained that Pete Gill had hurt himself and blah 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 blah. And uh, I said, look, uh, sure, you know, because I was doing a lot of sessions at that period too. Um, so he knew you had, you know, to be a session player, you had to learn stuff fast. So he said to me, yeah, Saxon are playing. This is Sunday. He said, uh, yeah, Saxon are starting a tour on Wednesday and um, Pete Gill can't do it. So would you do it? And I said, use me as a last resort, but yeah, sure. But I knew what he did. He sat by his phone for half an hour and then rang me back, said, you're on. And he said, can you come up to London? I said, yeah, once I've had my dinner. <laughs> so shot up to London. Then we went to uh, north of London. I can't exactly remember where the place was, but Saxon were rehearsing in an old cinema. So, so I went up there, and they had a couple of guys. They were auditioning. Um, so I had a blast with them, and, it, you know, it worked out pretty well. And, and they said, you know, will you do it? And I went, yeah, sure. But they said, but I said, I can only stay for a week or so because Toya and I were sort of planning this kind of thing like, um, what the hell were they called? Um, like Susie and Susie uh, from Susie and the Banshees and, ba and Budgie did just vocals, drums, and maybe a bit of synths, just something a bit different. We were like toying with the idea of that. And um, so they got the better guy out of the two people that were auditioning. They said, right, well, we'll have him sit behind you. So he, he'll have more time to learn the set. So when you leave, he can take over. So I went, okay. So first gig was in Brighton at the Brighton Centre. So And I bought tickets to go and see him. <laughs> <laughs> you had the best seat in the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's actually so a friend of mine that I was going with, I said, um, yeah, you better find someone else to go with because I'm actually playing. He went, what? <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so and that's how it happened so the first gig that guy was behind me after that first gig he disappeared he never turned up again <laughs> so i think the so, plan was to get me in i think yeah it sounds like that, it you know. definitely sounds like it yeah so that's how it went was that a difficult conversation to have with toya then to say look i'm, I'm, I'm going with these guys now um no, I didn't, to be quite honest with you, I didn't actually speak to Toya. I spoke to uh, Nick Tauber, who was the producer and everything, and t and told him, you know, maybe in retrospect, yeah, I should have, you know, I should have spoken to Toya and the rest of the guys as well, you know, out of sort of politeness. But, 
it was all a bit of a mad panic trying to learn all these damn songs and everything. And because what eventually happened was we we played Bingley Stafford Bingley Hall, I think it was, with bands. I think Budgie were on it and stuff. And uh, we were in this sort of this country hotel somewhere. I just remember being in bed, and suddenly my door got kicked in, and they were all sitting at the end of my bed. You know, <laughs> oh, I was nice. fast asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and they asked me to join, and I said, F off, I'll tell you in the morning. <laughs> and then the next gig was Bristol, and I said, yeah, okay, that was it. Oh, so it wasn't a difficult decision. I mean, they, they come between a man and his food and a man and his sleep. That's not a good sign to start with, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. I mean, we all got on great straight away, you know, instantly. It was good. You know. Oh, fantastic. And then one of those early tours, I think it was 1981, you, you, you toured Europe and it was a high profile support act as well, wasn't it? Ozzy Osbourne with the, the Diary of a Madman tour. I mean, what do you remember of that? Um, yeah, I remember because he had, uh, yeah, he had Tommy Aldrich with him, Rudy Sarzo, and um, Graham was all, all, always in there dressing and jamming with Randy. And, um, and then one, you know, we had a there was a there was a German band on at the in front of us. I can't remember who the hell it was, but but we there was one gig actually, and um, the three guys from Aussie's band were there, but Aussie wasn't. So we did our sound check. And their gear was all set up, and suddenly <laughs> this phone call came through from London. It was Aussie, and he said, "I'm not coming." So they had to take all their gear off, and that was it. You know. I don't, but obviously, I mean, he was he'd broken big in the US, and I don't think he liked being a support band, you know. Oh, so, wow. hey ho, hey ho, indeed. Uh, and then we we move on to the first album, nineteen eighty three, The Power and Glory. I mean, I found a really interesting quote as well from Martin Popoff, who's a respected music journalist, of course, and he said the the contribution of the new ass kicking drummer Nigel Glockler working a metal magic. So for that first record that you kind of played on, what do you think you brought to the group in in the it writing and the, the recording and the, the sound? It was the first studio. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've said this before. It was I, I sort of felt I had something to prove because obviously Pete Gill had a lot of fans, you know. Yeah. So I thought, well, this is important that I prove myself. So, um, um, I mean, we were rehearsing and writing between every tour in, in 82. As soon as we got a week off, it was like straight in somewhere, writing, rehearsing and everything. And uh, no, I'm, I'm sort of quite pleased that Martin thinks that, actually. <laughs> you know, I'm quite sort of... Yeah. Um, but um, no, I mean, the whole vibe of the thing was great. I was really enjoying it because it was a whole group thing. We had a great, you know, Jeff Glitzman was great to work with. It was my first time in America. Mm-hmm. Well, recording wise, that is recording. We toured America, but it was my first time recording there. So that was like a new thing. And funnily enough, um, Steve Walsh, who, who was the singer with Kansas, you know, Jeff Glitzman had worked with Kansas, which is where we knew him from, sort of thing. And um, Steve Walsh came to the studio and he was a big, you know, I was like a big fan of Kansas and, and his solo stuff because I thought, what a singer, this guy. So that that made, that was the icing on the cake for me, you know. And it was, no, it's cool. And did you feel any pressure? Because you mentioned Pete Gill there and having a lot of yeah. fans. Did you feel any pressure going into the studio knowing this would be the first, that, um, first new music that Saxon fans would hear from you? Sure. And I mean, I'm sure they felt it too, because it was like, you know, new drummer. It's like, what the, what are the press going to say? And, uh, uh, you know, so, yeah, I think that, I think, you know, we all had pressure on us, so to speak. 
But, you know, I think that sort of kindly got uh, kind of got overridden by the fact that the vibe in the studio was just great. The whole atmosphere was brilliant. And we actually found, because we're all curry nuts, right? We just love Indian food. And we actually found a, an Indian restaurant in, in uh, oh, God, Atlanta. That's where we were. And uh, run by a couple of guys from Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> so we went in there and they said, oh, great, now we can cook it because the Americans don't like it as hot as we do. <laughs> and we were eating this stuff and other people in there were like going, oh, my God, you know, because <laughs> we were like, come on, hotter, hotter, hotter. <laughs> home from home. Absolutely. Yeah, it was. No, it's great. And in America at that time, obviously, you were all dubbed the new wave of British heavy metal. And obviously, you, you were at the forefront with the likes of Judas Priest and, and Iron Maiden, of course. I mean, how did it feel at that point then, touring across America and the, and the way the scene was blowing up for, for the British heavy bands? Well, I mean, don't forget, I mean, I, I mean, Saxon toured America before I joined. They yeah. did a tour with, they did a tour, I think, with, uh, I think it was, the, was it called the Black and Blue Tour, which was, I think, Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult. They did that part of that tour. They also toured with Rush, which really peed me off because I would have loved to have done that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the main time when that was blowing up. I mean, the first tour I did, we were we were supporting Molly Hatchet, which was a bit of a bit of a weird mixture, yeah. you know. But it was my first time in America. It's like wow, you know. I was just my eyes were wide open everywhere with what was going on over here, you know. Just not just musically, everything, you know. And then we did shows with Rainbow. We were jumping from tour to tour. We would do, we did Rainbow for a few shows, Triumph, um, <clears throat> Cheap Trick. So it was constantly all over the place. And some shows with UFO as well. We did a couple of shows, two or three shows with UFO, which was great because um, at that time they had Neil Carter in the band, and he, and he was from my hometown as well. So oh, we used to meet up when we got off tour anyway, which is great, you know. Another another band did you do many dates with was uh, was Motley Crue. Now, obviously, their their kind of partying were legendary, wasn't it? So oh, did, God, do you remember yeah. much from from touring with those guys? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was actually, I remember one. I think it was the last gig we did with them. I think it was, I think it was me and Dobby. I think I can't remember. We we dressed <laughs> up as a couple of tarts and went on stage for one of the songs. You know, she's got looks that kill. You know, it's just. <laughs> so we went up, up there and did that. But, no, they were great, you know, um, nice guys. I got on great, actually, with Nicky Six. You know, you hardly ever saw uh, Mick Mars. Um, didn't see him apart from the gig a lot. Um, and, obviously, there was a lot of – they were doing a lot of partying. Yeah. And uh, sometimes we were seeing the uh, Polaroids from the night before. <laughs> and it was like, no, that's enough now, no. <laughs> But no, I got on great with Nicky actually. Me and Nicky ended up actually having an arm punching competition. I can't. I think he started it actually. You know where you punch the same, who can take it, and I beat him. Oh, you won! Yay! Oh yeah, I won. I, went, I remember. Um, I think it was one morning in the hotel. I went down. I said, "Come on, then. Where is it?" And he went, "No, no more. I can't take it anymore." So I got him. <laughs> but he actually, yeah, I got on with him the best. Oh, fantastic. Bruised and battered. <laughs> and in terms of their live shows, because obviously they were very exuberant live as well, what was it like watching them? Oh, they were great because, you know, they were breaking. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, that was the Shout at the Devil tour. So it was like, you know, the arenas were full of girls screaming for them and everything. And they went for it. They looked great, you know, really good, really good. And the sound was brilliant. Great band. 
Fantastic. And then just moving forward a couple of years, you left in 87 and you'd said before it was kind of management issues and things that you weren't yeah. agreeing with and getting along with. So, so what was what was going on there? <clears throat> um, well, I don't really like to divulge a lot of that. Let's just say that I wasn't getting on with the management and I, um, that tour, that particular tour, the one before I left was, for me, was pretty miserable. Um, and I got, I got food poisoning on it as well, like really bad. Not from a curry, I hope. No, definitely. No, you can't. At that time, you couldn't get a decent curry over here to save your life, you know, <laughs> apart from Atlanta, you know. But um, no, there was something, I, I don't know what it was, but it, it, I mean, it got so bad. I'd be like, when we finished the main set, I'd be on the stage in the fetal position behind the oh, kit on the floor. You know, it was that bad. So it was a, that was a pretty miserable tour for me, actually. I mean, there's other stuff, but I won't divulge it that was to do with management. Um, Nothing to do with the band at all. And then um, then I got contacted by um, Brian Lane's management office, you know, and asked, and, and they said, um, you know, GTR would like me to go and have a blast with them. And, and I think that was a lot of that was down to Phil Spaulding, the old Toya bass player, who was in GTR. Ah, there you so go. basically I got a phone call saying, um, would you like to join GTR? I went, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Hull, yes of course yeah 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 and what was he like to, to be around because obviously he's a wonderful uh, musician isn't he oh yeah no steve's great i mean again it's another one we're still in touch all the time you know um i was extremely nervous to be in the same room as him when i showed up the first thing it was like oh my god i'm in the room with this yes guitarist you know girl's a big yes fan yeah and it's like I'm really here with him. I was like, geez. But no, I mean, it was, you know, it, we got on great. So once once the butterflies got rid of, it was all right. <laughs> Wasn't the one story, though, where you almost had the chance to party with, with Freddie Mercury and, and Steve put a stop to it? Yeah, that was really, that was really, you know, frustrating because, again, I was a big Queen fan, you know. And uh, Freddie was in, we were in, I think we were in No Miss, I think, or not No Miss. Um, Oh God, I can't remember the bloody name of the of the rehearsal place in London. We were in there doing demos actually in the little studio they had. And Freddie had said Freddie had heard we were there and he was down the road in the studio recording. And he sent his driver up to pick us up, take us back to the studio for a party or whatever. And I was like, oh yeah. And Steve went, no, we've got work to do here. We're on, you know. And I was like, damn. <laughs> so yeah. I can it. picture the scene with you grabbing your coat and everything and then having to put it back on. Oh, the yeah. I was, I was like, come on then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a shame. Um, unfortunately, the, the record that you were working on, it never actually came out, did it? Again, was it management politics and things like that in the background? Yeah, a lot of politics went on. Actually, it has come out. Someone took, because it was never finished. I think we need we probably needed about another three weeks to finish it off. Um finish off doing vocals, all sorts of stuff and mixing and a few more overdubs, I think. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of politics to do with that. So that's the whole thing sort of folded. But, and then, but it has come out, but not in a finished, polished form, shall we say. So obviously someone at the studio nicked the master tapes yeah. or the rough mixes and put it out. But I don't think it's out under the name GTR. I think it was out under something else. But definitely, I think it was something like Neurotrend or something weird. 
<laughs> but it did come out, but it was never finished. So it sounds like, you know, if if you want every sort of scrap of whatever there is, then, you know, you might be able to find it. Yeah. But the very interesting thing was um, me, Steve, and Phil had a jam in the studio one day, just, just blue, you know. And I think Steve's got the tapes of that, and I think he's going to mix it and put it uh, and put it on maybe some compilation he's planning. So I haven't even heard it yet, but <laughs> Phil Phil heard it. You know, shame. I mean, Phil Spalding passed away a year ago, which is a big shame. That was um, big shock. But uh, Phil told me it sounds brilliant. So I don't know. I'm waiting with bated breath. In fact, actually, you reminded me. I have to email Steve and say, "Come on, I want to hear it." Yeah, so, chase him up. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not good yeah. to have regrets, but is that one of the regrets for you not not getting that record out and and mixed finally properly the way you wanted it? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, but but again, I, I'm sort of not one for looking back. Yeah. You know, what's done is done. Yeah, I mean, if it if it, I mean, it'll never get finished now properly because Phil's not around. You know, so it's as it is, really. That's sad. And it, was it through GTR that you met Jeff Downs and, and eventually you, yes. you worked with Asia for a bit as well, didn't you, on the album? Was it Aqua? Yeah. Aqua, yeah. I'd worked with him on Aqua because he was produ- yeah he was producing the GTR album. Yeah. So I worked with him on Aqua and they put Asia put out two sort of compilation things called Archivers, Archiver yes. 1 and Archiver 2. So I'm on some tracks on that as well, which didn't get on Aqua. So that was great. And, and after GTR folded, I worked with Steve on some of his solo stuff too. So that was cool. Fantastic. That was nice. So then how did you get enticed back into Saxon? Was it more curries or did they sit on the end of your bed and make you? Or what? <laughs> um, no, um, it was, it was um, I mean, I sort of equate Saxon to like a sort of spider with its web. I was gradually sort of pulled <laughs> back in, you know. You know, I mean, I started, yeah, I'd left. Um, well, that was, this was the first thing. Yeah, they rang me up and said, would I do a tour? which ended up in that the album Rock and Roll Gypsies, which is a live album, so we did a tour of that. And um, so then I was back in the band, and um, it was in um, 97 I had to leave because I ripped a muscle between my neck and my shoulder. So that was the second time I left. So, But, uh, again, you know, that was a bit of a longer break this time. <laughs> Eventually I went back again. You know, because they sort of pull that little web in, you know, or get the fish hook. You know, and, uh, but I was still writing with them, even okay. though I wasn't touring. All right. Okay. So, I mean, I wrote a lot, like, sort of noisy little synth thing for the beginning of uh, Metalhead. And then I went up to the studio with them um, when they were writing and routining for Killing Ground. So I co wrote some tracks on that. Because Fritz at the time didn't want he wasn't interested in writing, I don't think so. The drummer they had. So and then after that, it was um, yeah. Fritz went, and I, that Biff Biff rang me up and asked me if I'd go and play a couple of songs at Vacan with them. Yeah. So I got on stage. Went. I sort of you know I hadn't been in front of an audience for like God knows how long. So I sort of. I was like a stealth man. I sort of quickly sidled on, did a couple of songs with them, and sidled off again. And then he said, "Come, you know, we're playing, we're playing um, in London. Come and get up there." So I did, and um, 
that was great. You know, it was it was brilliant. I mean, actually, I, I was reduced to tears actually at the London gig oh. because Biff and said we've got someone coming up. You know, special guest coming up on stage now, and the whole place started chanting Nigel. Oh wow! And I just stood there. I was in tears. You know. So I did that, and then Biff rang me up a little while later because I think um, Jörg, who Jörg Michael, who was drumming with them at the time, he was going back to um, Stratovarius, I think. So Biff said we're going to do um, like a tour, night out with the boys. I think it was called like concentrating on the first four albums or five albums, something like that. And he said, "Will you do it?" And I said, "Yeah, let me have a think about that." And eventually, I said, "Yeah, okay." But I, I rang him up. They were on tour with Deep Purple, actually. I think they were doing some festivals with Deep Purple in Spain. And he rang me up and said, look, we really need to know. I said, OK, I'll do the tour, but I'm coming back properly. He went, effing great. You know, so that was it. And here we are. In a way, I find the break, I think, did me good. The long break, the second one, because yeah. I completely re- evaluated my playing, changed a few bits style-wise of my playing that I was doing, learnt some more stuff. So going back, it was like a breath of fresh air for me. Oh, fantastic. And just yeah. mentioning Biff there a few times, obviously you've worked with him. He's a legend. We've still got an incredible voice as we hear oh, on, the, yeah. on the, the latest records. I mean, what was Biff like as a person then to be around and, and to work with and things like that? Oh, he's a, you know, it's like, no, he's great. You know, I mean, we all, every, every band has arguments. We all have arguments in the studio, and that's what sort of kind of makes it healthy. You know, if you're a bunch of yes men, it would be like, you know, but we're all there. So we can have arguments, and the next minute we're getting, we're getting pissed, and I love you, man, and all this stuff. So, you know, no, it's great. It's cool. And his, yeah, his, I find his voice actually, um, improving with age actually because the older he gets he's got this slight rasp on his voice yeah yeah and um, which is great but i mean his range is still you know he's hitting all the high notes and so no he's great yeah fantastic and you mentioned whacking and playing in spain and things like that i mean europe has always been yeah. absolutely in love with saxon haven't they even even when yeah. i don't know america the music scene changed in the 90s didn't it and yeah. sales kind of fell a bit but in, in europe you've always had a huge following and always had really high charting records and things like that yeah i mean the the one you know the one country that really supported us and they've all, they're very i mean they seem to be very loyal to all their bands is germany you know they are they're very loyal fans over there. So that was that was the one place we knew. You know when Saxon had a downturn, when the grunge thing happened and everything, that was one place we could go. I mean, you you know they'd be there. So whereas you know some of the shows in England we had to we had to sort of drop down sort of um, capacity wise, but we kept doing it. We did. I remember one tour we did. I think we played sixty shows in the UK. Oh wow. <clears throat> we went we went to places that hadn't had bands for years. You know, and we were playing some of these lovely small theatres. I mean, they were great. They had never been played before, you know. And it was, no, it was brilliant. I mean, it was hard work, but it was great. So that kind of kept us going as well, you know. And one just little oddity to ask you about as well. I think it was the, the end of the century, start of the century, when um, Graham Oliver and, and Steve Dawson decided to trademark the name Saxon and it got a bit messy and went to court. And, and thankfully, Biff and, and the, the boys, the rest of you, retained yeah. the name to Saxon. I mean, what, what was your thoughts surrounding all that? 
I mean, it, it got very annoying. I mean, you know, I mean, originally they, they, they started calling themselves son of a bitch, I think it was. But um, I think the thing was they weren't getting a lot of interest gig-wise for that. There was a lot of stuff flying about at that time. Um, but then we, we heard reports there was this bogus Saxon going around and we thought we knew straight away who it was. It was obvious. I mean, we had, you know, apparently... You know, people were people were turning up at gigs in like places like Belgium and stuff. I think it was Belgium, I think, thinking it was us, and it wasn't. You know, and that's that's cheating the fans for a start. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we had to do this high court thing, which is you know unfortunate, but it but it just had to be done. And the ruling, the end ruling, was that they could, could call themselves Oliver Dawson Saxon. We agreed with that, as long as the Oliver Dawson and the Saxon were equal size, and they couldn't use our font. You know the, uh, the the Saxon logo. Yeah. They couldn't use that. And um, oh, sorry, I live uh, quite near a private airfield. You just got the Luftwaffe <laughs> going over at the moment. No. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, we had to stop. We just had to stop it. But uh, I mean, there were so many things going off. It was something like in the press. There was a thing, Saxon playing at where the hell was it? It was somewhere in Lincolnshire or or maybe somewhere around Peterborough or something. It was some biker festival, and it said, Saxon, the early days, featuring so-and-so, so-and-so, Nigel Glockland. I was like, what? What the hell is this? <laughs> You're getting dragged in. You know, so I rang the promoter up, and I said, no, it's not me, mate. So I think he cancelled the whole thing. You know, I'm, I'm, Whoever instigated that, I don't know. But, you know, but you know, they went out again. I think, actually, I think Graham's going out as Graham Oliver's army now, I think, so because I think Steve Dawson's retired, I think, so. But hey ho, hey ho, indeed. And uh, just moving on, I mean, proudly Saxon have maintained the and carried on the brilliant work year after year. And and we had the release of the twenty fourth studio album, Hellfire and Damnation. It's another yeah. tremendous record. I want to start at the very start of that record, though. Brian <coughs> Blessed, I mean, unmistakable voice that he's got, and he, oh, he yeah. opens the album. So so, how yeah. did he get involved? How did you get him to to come in and, and do that opener well, for you? Well, he's, he did an intro for us. I think it, I think it was at Bloodstock or somewhere. He did. He came on and did an intro for us at a festival. Just introduced us. And that was great, you know. So no, we sort of kind of kept in touch with him and everything. And you know, I mean, he was he was up for it. So just go for it. Brilliant. Is he a fan you know. of the band? <clears throat> oh yeah, I think he is. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Brian loves his rock. We like that. <laughs> and again, it's been another <laughs> successful release. It came out um, was it last month? I think it was. And top yeah. twenty in the UK. It was top five across Europe. Again, we're talking yeah. Austria, Germany, Switzerland, Sweden, all these sorts of countries. It, yeah. it must be amazing for you all these years on, all these albums on, to see that the, the records are still loved so much, and and the demand is still there for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's great. It's quite sort of. Uh... It's quite humbling to see it, actually, but it's sort of, you know, we're, we're sort of really pleased and, um, you know, I'll say now, you know, thank you to all the fans for buying it and everything and, you know, we're going on tour soon, so <clears throat> you'll be hearing some of the new tracks live. And, um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we sort of, the, doing the last, well, every album, you know, every album's got its certain sort of memories, but doing this one, the vibe was great. It was, you know, with Brian joining and everything so the whole vibe was great and um you know it's everything's just slotted into place and and i think the main thing is well it was fun to make you know it's hard again it's hard work 
but it was fun to make. And I think the minute you stop finding the whole thing fun, then stop. But we do find it fun. It's still fun and we'll keep going. As long as people want us, we'll keep going. Oh, excellent. That's great news. I remember speaking to um, a Pete Agnew from Nazareth, and he says that oh, yeah. proper rock stars, they don't retire, they just kind of drop dead. Um, <laughs> and we hope that doesn't happen anytime soon. Don't but say that, for God's sake. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but there's no plans for, I don't know, these farewell tours or albums or anything like no. that from you guys then? Not at all. Not at all. You know, we're already looking towards the next album. Oh, fantastic. You know, so, uh, yeah, we're going to have a busy year this year. You know, we've got the yeah. we've got the gigs with Judas Priest starting in in March. Yeah. And um, we've got that. Then we come back here. I think we're touring here for about six weeks. Yeah, I was going to say, because obviously in the UK, you've got a, a triple header yourselves, Judas Priest and Uriah Heep. I mean, three yeah. amazing bands. And you've got, yeah. what is it? 20 odd shows across 10 different countries across Europe and yeah. you start as you said here in the UK so that's <clears> going to be brilliant I mean when was the last time you toured with Judas Priest can you remember actually it wasn't that long ago it was oh god we did we did a tour of um the US with them okay. it was us you and um oh god what are they called um you know Scott Gorham's band uh not Black Star Riders is it that's it, Blackstone. Well done. Yeah, that's it. So they were opening. We were in the middle, and priests were. On. That was a great. That was a brilliant tour. You know, that was great. That was about what five years ago, something like that, I think. Oh, good stuff. Um, but yeah, that was a great tour. No, I mean we, you know, we're good friends with the priests and the heaps. You know, we've done shows heaps. with the heaps. <clears throat> and in fact, there the American tour is is a co-headline with your heap. So that'd be good. In areas in areas we're stronger, we'll headline. In areas they're stronger. They'll headline, but both yeah. bands will be playing. Both bands will be playing the same length, and we haven't got any openers either. So it's just purely an evening. As far as I know, it's purely an evening with Saxon and Uriah. And then after that tour finishes, then we're into festival season. <laughs> busy, it's busy. Right. I like to hear it. God Almighty, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure that shoulder's strapped up. Yep. <laughs> oh no, the shoulder's fine now. Yeah, so that's all cool. <laughs> fantastic stuff fantastic stuff um and just one last question i ask everybody it's uh just to put you mm. on the spot what's your favorite song from uh saxon then from your time in the band and, and the only caveat is you can't choose something from the most recent album because everyone <coughs> would do that you bastard i was gonna do that um <laughs> oh god i mean each album's got its own sort of thing you know i mean i've got favorite songs on each album really i haven't got a total favorite Overall, if you had to send one to space to, to show the aliens what Saxon are all about, what what would that one be? Uh, this town rocks. There we go. Off power. Why that one? Why that one? Because uh, it's mad. I mean, and it and it sums us up. I think you know, it's like there's some fast, you know, fast double kick drum in it. So that's that's the sort of speed metal bit of it, and then it sort of slows down to half time, and the whole lyrics about going to a gig and having fun and, and this town's like mad for it and everything. I think that sort of sums us up really, you know, you can't say fairer than that. Well, the best way to keep in touch with everything that Saxon are doing is uh, saxon747.com and across all the socials as well. And you can get to see what the guys are up to. Get your tickets, as we said, the 20 plus dates or something across Europe, 10 different countries, so you can't miss them. And then they go into America as well. And I think there's almost 30 dates, maybe even more than 30 dates with your eye heap. So it's going to be one heck of a show. And uh, yeah, festival season coming as well. So there's so and much chance to... Yeah, sorry, I'm interrupting you. And, go for it, go and for during it. the summer, we're doing some more shows with Priest as well. So. Oh, wow. 
Well, there you go. So you cannot miss Saxon this year and get the, the latest album as well. have to mention that Hellfire and Damnation. Fantastic record. Well, Nigel, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. I've loved listening to all your stories and uh, best of luck for this year because, as you said, it's going to be one heck of a busy year. Hey, thank you for having me on. Thank you. There you go, Nigel Glockler there. I hope you enjoyed his stories, and if you like hard rock and metal, definitely do check out that new album, Hellfire and Damnation. It's a really good record, great production, great songs, Biff sounding good as ever, and if the guys are coming your way as well on tour, either in Europe, hitting 10 different countries, or the US, 30 dates planned, make sure you've got a ticket because it's going to be an incredible, incredible night. Well, that's it for this week's podcast then. Thank you so much for listening. I really, really do appreciate it. Make sure you click subscribe to this if you're not a subscriber so you get every episode that comes out every Monday. Also, click on that link in the description and give VRP Rocks Radio a try. You won't regret it. Some brilliant music from the 60s, 70s and 80s that you won't have heard on the radio in a long time. Give it a try. Let me know what you think. Also, check out VRP Rocks on YouTube as well. Always growing. 15,500 subscribers, I think it is now, on YouTube. Over Well, close to 5 million views in total, which is absolutely bonkers. So if you've not yet, check out VRP Rocks on YouTube too. But that's it until next week's episode. Until then, though, take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.